is Tyler. I have the great joy and privilege of being the Lompoc campus pastor for Crossroads Church. And every single week we gather, we try and tell you about the greatest person that we believe ever existed, and his name is Jesus. And we actually believe that he was more than a person, but he was God in the flesh. And the way in which we learn and study and get to know the person of Jesus is through the Bible or the Holy Scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you. We got people in the back that are ready to get you one. Feel free to raise your hand and they will get you a Bible. We are going to be in the book of Genesis this morning, uh, which is where we have been for a little bit. And let me tell you, we are in chapter eight right now and there's a lot more than eight chapters. So we are set to be in the book of Genesis for quite some time. So if you don't have a Bible, This one is now yours. Feel free to take it home. And you might want to bookmark that page because next week when we gather, we're going to be in Genesis again. So that way you know exactly where it's at. For those of you who don't know, it's in almost the very front of the Bible. It is the first book after the table of contents. Again, we are going to be in chapter 8 in our series in Genesis, and this series is entitled Good News from the Start. We're so glad that you're joining us, whether you're in the room, whether you're online or Lompoc campus representing over there. I miss you dearly. I will see you shortly. You're in the great care of my wife, Rebecca. We love you guys. If you're online, we would love to see you in person. It could be either in Buellton or at the Lompoc campus. We would love to see your face. Maybe it's been some time since you've gathered together. Maybe you've only viewed us online. We would love to see you in person and get to know you. But feel free to use that chat, and I'm sure someone from our staff is interacting with you. But I'm going to read the portion that we are going to be in today. Bear with me. It is a little bit. Uh, I'm going to read chapter 8. Three weeks ago, Pastor Sam covered most of chapter 9, and I'm going to take the tail end of chapter 9. I'm going to forewarn you now, this is not a G-rated reading, okay? Notice how I didn't say sermon. I'm going to do my best to handle this very appropriately. The reading itself, there might be a couple moments where it gets awkward, so... Please don't look at me. I'm sweating enough as it is reading those words. I'm just forewarning you. There is some parts of this passage that you're going to be like, wait, what? Welcome to the Bible and pray for your brother who's trying to deliver a sermon about it today. So let's go ahead, read chapter eight, and then we're going to skip over to nine, 18 and finish it out from there. Genesis chapter eight. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. In the seventh month and on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of the 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth, and then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. She returned to him into the ark. For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. 
He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days, sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. The 601st year in the first month, on the first day of the month, the waters dried off from the face of the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you on that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moved on the earth went out by families from the ark. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord, took some of every clean animal, and some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter day and night, they shall not cease. Skip ahead to chapter 9, verses 18. 9, 18. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and these the people of the whole earth had dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his nakedness of his father, and he told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it over on both of their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you this morning. We thank you that help us to see how this is good news from the start. That nothing in the Bible was written by accident. Nothing was placed there without purpose from your Holy Spirit. So be with us this morning, God, as we learn to journey and know you better. We love you, Jesus. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. And it's in your mighty name, Jesus, that we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Let me share with you some of my first memories as a boy, as a wee lad, all right? First memories. I can remember, uh, my mom's in the room, so it, I may have just like made these memories up. I don't know if many of you know this. Sometimes kids do that. They like, will be like, this happened. And then they'll talk to their parents and you're like, that never once happened. But I have seared in my memory one of my first memories of rebellion. 
It's going to sound stupid, but let me tell you, it was outright rebellion. I remember uh, my mom told me to go do something. It was either my mom or my dad. I don't remember. What I remember was going like, I really don't want to do that. Um, And I'm going to disregard it completely, and I'm actually just going to go in my room and play with Stretch Armstrong. How many of you remember Stretch Armstrong? I remember so clearly just like sitting in my room and playing with Stretch Armstrong, knowing that I was told to do something, and I outright rebelled and was like, eh, no, not going to do it. I'm just going to play with Stretch Armstrong. And I can remember one of them coming back into the room going like, what are you doing? And what, <laughs> what answer can you give at that moment? Like, it's just kind of like, I'm playing with Stretch Armstrong. It's like, we, you knew you were supposed to do this, and yet you chose to do this. I can remember as a young boy making the conscious decision that this is what they asked me to do, but I'm going to do the exact opposite. Whatever they ask me to do, I'm actually going to willingly and knowledgeably go, no, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do my own thing, which at that time as a three or four-year-old, it's play with Stretch Armstrong. I can remember another instance where we had a next-door neighbor across the street, Brandon, and um, this, uh, this may be a, a boy thing. I don't know. We were playing with logs and trees. A big tree had fallen at the time we lived on Vandenberg Air Force Base with my grandparents. And I can remember this tree like teetered, you know, and uh, as a boy, you kind of like start looking at things. And so what we had determined to do is, hey, like, I'm going to look down here. So make sure you don't step on the log at the other end. Otherwise, what happens? It's like a seesaw. And I can remember clearly him looking and going like, whoa, like I'm checking stuff out. And as a boy being curious about what would happen Would he actually get hurt if I just stepped on the log as it came up? And let me tell you, the log did come up like we had both intended, uh, and Brandon was right. He got hurt pretty bad as that log smacked him in the face from staring at it. He did not expect me to just put my foot on it to see what would happen. But as a boy, I remember thinking, this could be bad, but I'm willing to take the chance. I'll make my own decision, and this log may very well smack him in the face. <laughs> Sorry, it's not funny. Don't laugh. How dare you laugh? That's not funny at all. Poor kid got smacked in the face. I remember thinking, this could go very bad, but I'm going to try it anyway. I can remember fear as a child. Uh, I remember uh, my parents got divorced, and so my mom, I went over to my dad's for the weekend, and... At that time, it's kind of like I have older sisters in the house. They're like teenagers. I'm like six. Uh, and they decided, hey, why don't we watch a scary movie? And I was like, I'm man enough for this. Like, I'm not going to back out. Like, let's do it. I'm ready to watch a scary movie. And I think I made it all of five minutes through the opening scene of Scream. It was Scream. I won't recommend anyone go see horror movies, but at a six year old, you know, that's what cool kids do. So, hey, I'm game. Five minutes in, I remember being absolutely horrified. Like, emotions that I think to this day I still have never felt. And let me tell you, it was years that I was actually afraid. Like, Cub Scout trips would be like, let's go on a night hike. And I'm like, no way, dude. Like, I know what happens on night hikes, all right? I'm six years old and I've seen the movies. I'm not going on no night hike. Being absolutely terrified terrified out of my mind. I couldn't go sleep over at friend's house. My mom was like, I have no idea what we're going to do. And and thankfully I grew out of it. Um, I can remember sadness as a kid 
when my parents got divorced and, and the feeling of overwhelming sadness and confusion, not understanding what's happening as a four-year-old, but still that emotion of sadness. I can remember pain as a young boy. Even from the age of five or six, I remember we were running in pea gravel, which is like, there's no traction in pea gravel. I don't know if you know that, but if you try and like take off and run, what happens is you slip out. And so as a five-year-old, I didn't have that far to fall, thankfully, but I had far enough to fall that when I cut loose in some pea gravel, I kind of like slipped out and had fat head syndrome and came down, smacked my forehead. It was payback from Brandon. That's what it was. It was payback for smacking him in the face with the log. I remember coming down, smacking, and I just remember blood on my forehead. And I remember being absolutely terrified and in pain. I'm sure if you think back to early childhood memories, maybe hard, maybe difficult, but you can think back to these first time, the first time that you felt these emotions. The emotion in the acts of rebellion or fear or hurting someone else and feeling guilt and shame because of the actions that you took. The emotion of sadness and absolute pain. Can I tell you the story of Genesis this morning shows us the vicious cycle of all of these things, of rebellion and sadness, of fear and pain, of confusion. Here we have in Genesis chapter 9 specifically an instance where we see God has now had an entire flood over the whole earth. He's reset all the hardware. Everything has been wiped out except for Noah and his family and seven of every animal. And yet we see as soon as we get out of the ark, an altar is raised, and then we see this story of rebellion. From the very beginning, this is the story that we read in the Bible. is God creating, God blessing, be fruitful and multiply, go and subject the earth. All of these things are blessings from God, and we see man in his creation rebelling against God. And here it is the exact same, even after a hard reset of creation. We see the bend that humanity has to go away from God. But, but before we get into that, let's focus on 8.1. These are some of my all-time favorite verses. Anytime you read this in the Bible, I mean, mine is highlighted and circled. It's such a great reminder for me. This is what chapter 8, verse 1 says, But God, but God remembered Noah. The flood is covering the whole earth there's nothing but water, and really in the Old Testament, water is what it is, is it signifies chaos, absolute chaos. We see in Genesis 1, the waters, what it is, is it's chaos on the earth, and God has now brought chaos back onto the earth to bring it back into subjection to him, and Noah is on top of this chaos, seeing it for days and days and days. But chapters 8, verse 1 tells us, but God remembered Noah. He didn't forget Noah. God remembered Noah. And in his remembrance of Noah, the floodwaters begin to subside. They start to go down. And Noah begins to send birds out, all right, to see, hey, are they going to land? It's probably a good idea before opening the door of the ark, you know? Like, let's send some birds and see if they come back. If they come back, then it's, they probably didn't find a place for a home. So let's not open the doors to the ark and sink the ark. 
Let's keep sending birds. This is what Noah's doing. He's sending birds until finally the bird leaves and it does not come back. And they begin to see dry ground. They take the roof off of the ark and they exit the ark. And it says that Noah built an altar to the Lord. This is what God tells Noah and his family. Be fruitful and multiply. And he makes a promise that he will never again do this again. And we see in 9-1, God blesses Noah and his sons, and he says to them, be fruitful and multiply. It was funny, I was, I was studying last night, and I even called Pastor Sam, because sometimes it's like, you study the Bible for so many years, and still, still, oh my gosh, sometimes you read it, and all of a sudden, you're, 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 your mind is blown. Like, you're like, oh my gosh, this is insane. And I remember reading this, and I remember reading God blessed Noah, his family, and he said, be, be fruitful and multiply. It's the same exact thing that we see in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. And God blesses Adam and Eve. See, God here is blessing the family and Noah himself. He's giving them a blessing. Now, it's important that we realize this because when we come to Genesis chapter 9 and see what happens between Ham and Noah, his father, we have to realize that Ham had a place on the ark. Out of all of humanity, only Noah and his family were saved and placed in the ark. They were the only ones that decided to follow God and not rebel against God, but were counted as righteous, Noah and his family. They exit the ark and God blesses Noah and blesses his sons. It's important that we realize this. Otherwise, we'll read the passage and the story that we're going to read and we'll have judgmental eyes and go, oh my gosh, I would never do this. And let me remind you, God chose Noah, chose his sons and blessed them. And then we read this. 9 verses 18. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. And Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine. He became drunk. He lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the father, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on the shoulders, walked backwards, covered the nakedness of their fathers, of their father. And their faces were turned backwards. They did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke, he knew what his youngest had done. And he said, cursed be Canaan. Remember, the curse falls on the son of Ham, which is fascinating to me. What also is fascinating to me is the fact that God blesses Noah and his entire family when they exit the ark. The curse comes from Noah himself. See, so often we'll read and we'll think God is always the one cursing. We'll read every single portion of scripture where a curse is laid out and we think it's a curse. Or every time something is negative, we interpret it as a curse against man. God is condemning men, women, creation, and cursing them. But what we find in Genesis chapter 3 is fascinating to me. Let me read it to you. Genesis chapter 3. This is what it says. This is after the fall of man, they have rebelled against God. And the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock 
and above all beasts of the field. The serpent God curses. Cursed are you above all livestock. You will be on your belly your whole life. It comes to woman. And what we expect and think is God is going to say, cursed is woman. You'll now have pain in childbirth. But that's not actually what the text says. To the woman, it simply says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but you shall rule over it. There's not a curse of woman there. And to Adam, then we go, okay, well, maybe, maybe, maybe Eve got away with it. Maybe, maybe Adam is the one that now God is going to curse Adam. And from that, everyone is going to be ripple affected. And this is what God says to Adam. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of the day all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it was taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. See, we think that God is always cursing man. He's cursing creation. Oftentimes we see in the Old Testament, now don't get me wrong, there are curses from God against entire tribes and nations and people. But we have to be careful to read the text for what it's actually saying. If we believe that every wrong turn we make, God is going to curse us. See, we have a misinterpreted idea of who God is. God blessed Noah and his sons. Ham was accepted into the ark, even though there seemed to be something wicked and rebellious within Ham that we don't fully understand. It says he saw the nakedness of his father and went and told his brothers. There's a couple different ways that we can interpret this. Um, I'll tell you the most widely accepted, and that's all I'm going to say. You could do research on your own. The most widely accepted, uh, thanks Mark Thomas for pointing me on to this, is the fact that this is actually something of respect to see your father. It's almost like Ham comes into the tent, sees his father nakedness as he's drunk, and thinks he is no longer worthy to be the leader of the house that he's now fallen some notches and now the sons are going to be able to take the power and control and the reign of the family. And what, does, what Ham does is he celebrates this. It's almost like there's this rebellion he has against his father. Does it sound familiar at all? We're bent almost to have this rebellion against our father. And this is exactly what most scholars believe is the sin of Ham that makes it to where he curses Cain. It's about respect. For your father and knowing the position and where you're at and not being so quick to be rebellious against your father. And because of this, Noah curses Ham through Canaan. He curses the generation below him. He doesn't say cursed is Ham. He says cursed be Canaan. Almost like knowing this rebellious nature is going to be passed down. We see a lot of similarities between the act of Noah and the act of Adam. I'd encourage you on your own time, again, this is the appetizer, we say. You can go back and look at the correlations that we see from Adam to Noah and the sin. But what I want you to understand is this is the cycle that we have of mankind. Mankind up until this point has been in this vicious cycle of Adam being created good. He gets Eve. It's also good. And then they rebel against God together. 
They're pushed out from the garden. We see Cain and Abel and Cain out of rebellion and hatred for his brother that God looked with acceptance of his offering, kills his brother. We see Noah being saved and we think, man, this is so great. Like mankind has finally redeemed itself and they get out of the ark and then we see Ham doing something that we still don't fully understand. But it's important that even through this, it's like, man, I don't know what Ham exactly did. It seems very grotesque. Like, oh man, I could never do that. Like that's, that's disgusting. I don't know if any of you guys have ever thought about sin this way. And we don't think about sin this way as a whole. What we do is we pick out certain ones and we go like, that's disgusting. That's horrible. I would never do that. And this is why I want you to realize Ham gets a blessing from God. Noah and all of his sons are blessed by God. They get the commission to be fruitful and multiply. But because of his sin, Noah curses his son. The cycle of mankind is repeating itself over and over and over. And although God does not curse man in the garden, it seems that there is this fracturing that takes place that is clearly evident. Something has been broken that has not been able to be restored yet. And as a reader, we read this and we cry out, we just want it to be made right. I don't know if you've ever seen a movie where it's like you watch it and then you go like, please just don't do that. Like, I know it's coming, but like, let's just not do that. And then the movie will be great and we miss all of the drama and the stuff that we're like cringeworthy through the whole thing. But we know that it's going to happen. And sometimes we read the Bible going, can we just not do that? Can you just understand that that's actually wicked and evil? And it just perpetuates this fracturedness that we have with God. And we'll read this story and it, it ends up being kind of hopeless. We'll read this cycle and sometimes if we're not careful, we go like, man, there's no hope. This isn't good news. This is bad news. Can I tell you that God from the beginning of time had a plan set in place to restore the fracturedness that we brought the curse that affects us of sin, God had a plan before, the t before time even began, knowing that he was going to restore it and have something in place from the beginning. See, this cycle of man we see brought and restored in the New Testament through the person of Jesus. The curse that we see that is bestowed on man, not by God, but by actions. Now we see that sin is rampant and we come to the New Testament where we learn about this person, Jesus. Jesus, who seems to be radically different. And from a Jewish perspective, they're probably going like, yeah, any day now, like it's, <laughs> the shoe is going to drop. I don't know if you've read all of human history, but everyone up until this point, David, a man after God's own heart, murders and has an affair. Okay, it seems like everyone is doomed from the very beginning to fall. It seems like we're all bound to be rebellious. And how is it that we can have right standing again with our Father? Romans 5.12 says this about sin. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
For sin was indeed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For judgment following one man's trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus. Therefore, as one man trespasses led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Psalms 51.5 says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin in my mother's womb. See, from the beginning we can see the rebellious nature. We're all going to just disobey our parents and go play with Stretch Armstrong. It's who we are. It's what we're bound to do. We are going to rebel. We're going to have fear. We're going to be angry. And we begin to ask ourselves, what's the answer? If in my mother's womb I was born, God, what is the good news of this passage? And the good news is that there is new life and a way to be born again. We see this in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus as he's confused and Jesus is talking to him, talking about this new life, this new birth, not just by water, but by spirit as well that regenerates us and gives us a new life, a new way to be human a new way to walk through life and go through life. We were all born into sin. Sin literally means missing the mark. It's as if we stretched out an arrow and shot it and we missed the target of what God said. This is what perfection is. You have to hit this. And anytime you miss it, you have sinned and rebelled and you are now worthy of judgment. And none of us could always hit that mark. Even on my best day, Man, I miss that mark so many times. But I want you to know you're in good company, follower of Jesus. Because sometimes we get confused. How is it that I can be born again and saved and then I walk out these doors and it seems almost like Noah and his sons all over again where I fall and rebel against God and I'm confused. Can I tell you, the New Testament writer Paul went through the same exact thing. Paul struggled. This is what he says. For we know the law is spiritual, but I am flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. Sound familiar? I'm just going to step off the log and see what happens. I don't understand my own actions. For I do what I, for what I do not want to do, I do. I do the very thing that I hate. 
Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. This idea of flesh is literally the word sarks. And it's almost this idea that there's two different people in us. We are born again by the Spirit, as Jesus tells us in John chapter 3. And yet we still live in this present reality where we feel fractured where we do something and we don't understand why we do it. You're in good company. If you weren't that way, you would be Jesus, okay? Jesus was the only one that was able to live this life in completion, never missing the mark. That's what makes the life, but more so the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus such a miracle. We talked about this idea of cursed the cursing that comes when we fracture and fall from God that ultimately is the sin inside of us. And we can't seem to get rid of it. See, what we don't understand is Jesus actually reverses that curse. Jesus became the curse is actually what the scripture tells us. Jesus became the cursed. It actually says in Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who hangs from a tree. Let me tell you, the crucifixion was Jesus hanging from a tree. And the Old Testament predicted that that person would be cursed. Don't let them hang there, but pull them down before day and bury them. For that person is cursed when they hang on a tree. And yet, instead of cursing, how is it that we have new life? through the death of Jesus. What should have been accursed is now brought in with new life. It's almost like the life of Jesus takes everything that we knew, the way that we did life before, and flips it upside down and goes, listen, you were that way. You'll still feel the tension inside of you of that old self trying to get out. Paul gives us clarity. At times, you're going to be confused. The thing that I don't want to do, the very thing that I hate, that's what I do. And he ends it with saying, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I will serve the law of sin. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? It's going to be Jesus. And why is it that Jesus will do that? Because he loves you dearly. Why is it that God saved Noah from the flood with his sons? Because he loved them dearly. Why is it that God sent Adam and Eve from the garden? Because he loved them dearly, lest they eat of the, of the tree that will give them eternal life and they live like this forever. By the grace of God, we will face death so that we can be made right standing with him. Why is it that Jesus does this? Because he loves us greatly. Romans 5.8 says this, that he shows his love for us that while we were still sinners or enmity, opposed and hostile to God, while we were still in enmity with God, he sent his only son to die for us. See, we are under the curse of sin still. And we'll feel the repercussions of that. 
But in the Lord's Prayer, there's this, there's this line that so often we, we misinterpret. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Really what that prayer is for, what it's saying, Jesus, come back. Your kingdom come. The book of Revelation that everyone goes, we got to stop it from happening. Really, the, the Lord's prayer is all about, no, bring it. Bring it on, Lord. Come back. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I no longer, no longer want to do the thing that I hate. I struggle within myself knowing that I do those things. But the free gift given by Jesus is what makes us persevere and push forward on the good race. Jesus loves us greatly. Philippians 2 says this. How much does he love us? Have this mind among yourselves, 2 verses 5, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming disobedient to the point, by becoming obedient, sorry, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to become like us. Found in human form and yet lived a life radically different where we are fractured and broken where we are bound to rebel against God, Jesus lived the life that we were called to live but unable to live, and therefore being able to pay the price on the cross for us, making it to where we have right standing with God. We are positionally justified and saved by the grace of Jesus, but we will still battle and struggle, but we need to recognize and realize the love of God. Dallas Willard has a great quote. He says, it turns out what you know about Jesus is determined by what you do when you realize you don't have to do anything at all. It turns out what you know about Jesus is determined by what you do when you realize you don't have to do anything at all. I'm going to read a stanza from an old hymn before we pray that talks about the love of God. And it says this, Could we with ink the ocean fill, or were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Jesus your love for us is greater than we could ever begin to think or imagine. What makes these difficult stories in Genesis such good news? It shows the greatness of your love in light of the cross. What we would view as horrible, 
disgusting, confusing, thinking we would never do something as evil or as grotesque as that. And you paid the price for that. You blessed Noah and his sons. David, a man after your own heart. Peter, who would deny you three times. Paul, who in the name of Yahweh would begin to murder and slay Jesus' followers. And we would go, we would never. And we see the love of Jesus in light of the cross covering the sin, past, present, and future of your church. Jesus, give us humility as we walk, broken and fractured still, but made in right standing with you. Give us grace for those around us. And Lord, help us in everything that we say, in everything that we do. Let us bring glory to you and good to this valley. We love you, Jesus. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. We give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Mm-hmm.